And so uh, this one actually has to do with convention, so I thought it was very suiting that I share it this morning. Uh, probably about 10 years ago was um, one of the last times that uh, Pastors Craig and Renee were leaders at convention. We actually had the privilege at that time to be leaders under them. And so uh, the way they did it the, that year was kind of funny. They had different like colored wristbands, and they made this year too. I'm not really sure how they've done it over the recent years, but we had these colored wristbands. And the thing was that each color took its turn sitting at the front of the auditorium for different services and stuff. So they rotated it out. That way you didn't get confused or there's no like fighting for seats and that kind of a thing, you know, because youth groups, if you don't know, can be really ruthless and we like to compete and we like to have our own way. So they did this on purpose to try and avoid some of the conflict, some of the chaos that would be from the seating. So um, our wristbands called for, it was like, I don't know, the third, maybe even one of the last services that we would be at the back because we had already been in the front in the beginning of the service, which she thought was really great initially. And then we realized that the concert they were having, I forget which band it was, which foot maybe, they were playing. And the night they were playing, we were, we were supposed to be way at the back. Well, this didn't work for us. It just didn't. We needed to be up front for the concert. So we were in line and we we're like, you know, what do we do? What do we do? So we got permission, another leader and I, who actually is currently a youth pastor up in Alpine. Um, so she's actually at convention as well. We got permission to kind of, you know, weasel our way through the crowd so that we could get our group good seats. We got pastoral permission to do this. And so we went up and so we had the best seats. We were like probably sitting in like row three, maybe Megan where you are. And we were like, perfect. This is what we're <clears throat> excuse me, what we're coning off, and like, we're gonna, this is where our group is gonna go. So we're there, and it's buzzing, it's just buzzing, a few minutes before the service starts, and um, my friend and I are making sure we've got enough seats, and all of a sudden, so we were in, let me mention this, we were in transition, so our youth pastors had actually gone to Temecula at the time, so it was kind of like an interim thing. So we're there, and we're situated, and we're so ready for this concert, it's gonna be great, our kids are gonna love this, we got them great seats. And all of a sudden, we see a couple people in front of us. They turn around. One of them is our former youth pastor and somebody that had helped with the coloring of the wristbands. She knew very well that we were not supposed to be in that section. We were not supposed to be there. We were supposed to be at the back of the room. And so what did I do, because I have great friends, is I actually ducked and hid under a chair and let her take the fall for it completely. She was like, where'd you go? I'm like, I'm right here, but don't tell them I'm here. So that was just a fun youth convention story. Um, I have friends that I've traveled with. Um, Sylvia's not here this morning. Um, she's with, with her son at convention. We were in Honduras one time out in the balcony having some serious conversation. I think Steph was with us, another friend. And we were having this really serious godly conversation. All of a sudden, we're in this huge compound. It's like tin roof and everything. All of a sudden, this bat swoops in. And what do I do? I throw Sylvia in front of me. She can protect me. I'm one of those friends. I have friends. We were on um, one of those trips when we were scheduled to go out for an outreach. And we're loading vans after breakfast. And Stephanie, who's in the, the sound booth, said to my husband and I, we can't go yet. There's something, something is wrong. Something in my spirit is telling me we can't go there yet. So what do we do? We trusted her and we stalled and we held the team back and we made up all sorts of funny excuses 
to not get in that van and not go to that village at that moment. And we waited for peace to come and we, we prayed through it. I have friends in my life that I trust. That's just a few stories of a few of them. I've traveled with them, I've cried with them, and I've loved them hard. I've warred for them in the spirit. We've prayed together. I love the people God has put in my life. And I've done life with them for many years. But as amazing as all of them truly are, they're amazing, amazing people and families. They don't compare to my friendship with Jesus. They just can't. This morning, as we carry on in this, this series of friendship with Jesus, I want to talk about the topic of grief and the topic of comfort that he brings us as our friend. And a lot of us have people in our life, I know I do, I'm sure you do, that get low with us. They're in it for the long haul. They're not um, afraid to walk through the fires of life with us. They're not afraid to see us in our worst mess possible. Aren't we thankful for those people? We couldn't do it without them, to be honest. When my mom passed away five years ago, I remember the people who came. And I remember the people that stayed, even though I was a mess. I remember at the time... um, Another Stephanie story, because she's been with us for so long. She lived with us at the time, and I remember standing in the kitchen. It was maybe a day or two before we were scheduled to fly out for my mom's celebration of life, and I remember standing in the kitchen, and, um, and she was doing homework. She was still in school at the time, her college stuff, and I remember standing in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, I just began to, to weep. I just began to lose it. I was sobbing uncontrollably, and I'll never forget, and I could even be emotional because it like, takes me back to the moment her standing up and shutting her computer and say, what do you need right now? And I was like, I, my kids need clothes. They don't have clothes for the service. I, I, I would just need to go to the store. Will you help me? And she said, of course. And she shut that down. I remember the people that came and I remember the people that stayed. I have other stories of other people in my life that came and stayed during that time. It was funny because my husband actually, during that time, um, we had traveled back east and we had counseled my family and we, we met with people and we had this amazing celebration of life for my mom. And when we came home, I was like, I'm fine. Everything is good. And my husband said, hey, I made an appointment um, with this pastor friend of ours. You know, we're going to do a debrief. We're going to just talk about things. And I looked at him like, what are you talking about? What do I, I, I don't need to, I don't need to go talk to anybody. I'm fine. And he's like, honey, we just, we just went to New York. We just buried your mother. We just did all these really heavy emotional things. Let's go talk to somebody. You know, and I. I thought I was okay, and I wasn't okay. Because grief comes in different moments in time in our life, and it co- often when we least expect it, it shows up when we least want it, and we, when we least feel we can handle it, to be honest. It comes in those moments of what we feel our weakness. And a lot of times we, we actually equate grief to just the idea of death. Somebody passes on, and we grieve, right? Like that's the most normal way that we, we think of the process of grief, but there are a lot of ways that we experience grief in our life, to be honest. Here's a few of them. Death, as I said, you know, we prayed, we believed, and they still went home. That was my mom's situation. We prayed and we believed for 30 years or more. And at the end of her life, her illness didn't take her. Jesus chose when to take her, but we still prayed and believed. But grief was in that. Sudden diagnosis of an illness How many of you know sometimes that doctor's appointment can just throw you over the edge, something you weren't expecting, something you weren't looking for, and yet all of a sudden, here it is. Another thing is loss of a job, that career, that thing that you thought was going to be the next 
30, 40 years into retirement, all of a sudden is taken out from underneath you. That can cause grief and a sense of loss in your life. Loss of relationships in your life. Those that you, you counter close and yet all of a sudden they're not so close anymore. And their whole, um, or their absence leaves a hole in your life. Abandonment, rejection, betrayal, things like that. All of those things cause loss in our life, therefore bringing us to times of grief. This one, the child that you prayed for, the one that you already loved, yet you'll never see them on this side of heaven. God has a different plan for that. The abuse that you couldn't control when you were younger. It leaves a hole, it leaves a sense of loss, and it leaves a sense of grief in our lives. How about this one? The special education diagnosis that you weren't anticipating. And all of a sudden you say, will they ever fit in? Will we as parents know what to do? Are we even equipped to do such a thing? Right, and I get it that those, those scales, they, they vary from, you know, little to a lot. But I want you to understand this morning, can I tell you parents something that are here in this room and those that will watch online? That your child is beautiful and they are brilliant and they are created by a loving, perfect father who doesn't make a mistake. They are not broken. So I want that to be an encouragement this morning if that is a place that you found yourself just struggling and swirling in some type of like, oh, how do we, how do, we do this? God doesn't make a mistake ever. He never makes a mistake. Another thing that can cause us grief and pain is church hurt. The pain that comes when those that you've walked with, you've confided in, you've trusted, all of a sudden you have a sense of betrayal. Something has happened that has, has divided those relationships. And it's painful. It's painful. We find ourselves on this emotional roller coaster, sobbing over the kitchen sink sometimes, and looking for the light that's at the end of the tunnel. I say that to you this morning, like, I don't believe it's just me. I've had moments in my life where I'm alone and I'm just broken and I'm just grieving and I'm just like, God, I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't understand what you're doing right now, but I trust you. Why won't the anxiety leave? Why can't I shake the depression? And I want to say this morning, God doesn't do those things to us. He is not a bad God that dumps little poison on us when we're at our lowest to make it harder. He's not, but I do believe that our body, in a sense, keeps a score. The things that we struggle with, the things that we cannot shake, often, sometimes, have to do with unreconciled things in our life, unreconciled loss, unreconciled grief that maybe we are carrying from situations that we are not recognizing. And we grieve the life that we now feel is just unattainable. Like we're never going to get there. At one time I was on this course, I was on this path, and I was going to be able to meet my goals and get to where I'm going. I thought I knew the plan, and all of a sudden that is all completely unattainable. No longer can I get there. No longer can I do what I was set out to do. Will we ever catch a break? Anybody ever feel like that? Like, man, the hits just keep coming. We had a week like that, to be honest. It wasn't anything terribly serious, but it was a week like that where, man, we just need a break. We just need something to give. And you know what, guys? Grief makes its own rules in our life. It really does. If you've experienced it, I think you understand what I'm saying. It just, it decides when to come. It's unpredictable. It's something that we don't get to pick and choose when it's allowed in. And there are so many moments in life that cause us grief, from big things to small things. 
they cause us grief. And I don't know how people who don't know Jesus do it. Have you ever thought of that as a Christian? Like, man, if I didn't know him, if I didn't have relationship with him, if I didn't trust him, if I didn't have something bigger to look to, what on earth would I do in this moment that is so heavy and so hard? And I believe that grief has been happening since the garden. If you read the scripture, you know, I can imagine God the Father grieving as he witnessed even just the fall of man in Genesis that we read. What, would, what was it like for him to be up in heaven, be watching his creation, his children, perfectly made, perfectly chosen, to choose things that were not his best, to choose things that he didn't have in the plan for them. I believe that there would be a sense of grief there as a father looking at their children. I believe that God knew, uh, God the Father knew grief as Jesus hung on the cross. The scripture tells us he actually had to look away. He couldn't, it was unbearable for him. And I've experienced grief in my life, as I know that you guys have too. I'm sure we could take the rest of the morning easily to go around and share stories of like, man, the things that broke our hearts, the things that wear on our soul. As a child, my mom was sick. Some of you have heard me talk about her before. Um, she wasn't just sick. She was mentally ill, which has its own stigma attached to it, like all in and of itself. And I couldn't, when I was a kid, I didn't realize that some of the things I felt were grief. I couldn't understand that um, being young. I only knew what I knew. You know, like you only know what you know until you know better than you know better, that kind of thing. I only knew what I knew growing up. And so as I got older, it wasn't until I became teenager, young adult, really, that I started to pay more attention and realize, oh, like, I don't have those types of outings with my mom. We don't go, like, do the shopping trip or just go to lunch or, like, hang out. I don't have that support system from her. And it wasn't that she didn't care to give it. It was that she didn't know how to give it. And so it was nothing against her. But it just wasn't the same. It's what other people experience. And as I became an adult going into young adulthood, I realized I had to accept it for what it was. And, um, and walk through that. The older I got, the more the grief about it really um, set in. And this is going to be a transparent story for me. Um, when I found out that our second child, you all, most of you know my kids, my daughter is 14. But when I found out that our second child was going to be a girl, to be honest, I was terrified. I was terrified because I didn't know how to be a mom of a daughter. I didn't, my dad basically raised us for the most part, and so I knew how to be the daughter of a father. I didn't know how to be the mother of a daughter. And there were times that I would get frustrated. I would get so, like, stressed out over the fact that, like, I don't even know what to do with this child. If you know her, you love her, and she's feisty. We'll just leave it at that. She's amazing. But she scared me. Because there was grief and loss in my life that I couldn't understand. I couldn't figure out how to deal with. And so she terrified me. Because I thought, oh, Lord, I don't know how to do this. And there was one night, she was probably three or four. And she hated to go to bed by herself. And so I always had to make the time to go lay with her until she fell asleep. And even if she fell asleep and I got out of the bed, she would wake up and realize I was leaving. And then I'd have to go back in. And it was like this cycle over and over and over again. And I remember laying there one night and I was laying there on my back, and I was looking up at the, my kids had bunk beds at the time. She finally had fallen asleep, and she fell asleep with her hand over my chest, probably so I wouldn't move, to be honest, trying to pin, <laughs> pin me down. And, um, and I remember laying there 
in frustration, praying silently, and be like, Lord, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm not cut out for this. And I remember him speaking to me so clearly and saying, she doesn't want you, she needs you. You, you wanted your mom, you couldn't have her in the capacity that, that you wanted her. You needed her. She fulfilled certain things, you know, everyday task in your life. But that want and that desire for relationship couldn't be fulfilled in that relationship. I'm giving you a chance to reconcile. I'm giving you a chance to heal through all of this. And I can't say that immediately all my fears went away. But I heard him. And I knew that he was giving me the strength and what I needed to push through that moment and many others that would come as I leaned into the Father. Because grief unhandled will paralyze us. It will make us think that we cannot do what we need to do. It will make us think that we are not cut out or capable of the things that God has called us to do. And every moment of grief is a sense of loss. It's a sense of loss that of what could have or should have been. And there are moments that I know I've done this, and if you would be honest with me this morning, I believe that you have too, where you've shaken your fist at God and asked him why. Why is this happening to me? Why in my life? Why now? Why again? Why am I not done? Why does this keep resurfacing? And to be honest, we just don't always get the answer. Bill Johnson said this, you cannot hold God hostage to your questions. He doesn't owe you an answer. If you want peace that passes understanding, you're going to have to give up your right to understanding. It's called trust. And there are many moments in my life and in your life where we have to give up a right, what we think is a right to understanding when, when life happens. And the truth is that Jesus experienced many of the things that I listed before, just a few moments ago. He experienced grief even as the son of God. Isn't that remarkable to think? He became human. He became man so that he would understand everything that we would struggle with, everything we'd be tempted with, everything that we would go through. He stepped down from heaven so that he could understand. He was betrayed. He was rejected. He lost relationships. And he was abandoned by those he was closest with. You think Jesus was acquainted with grief? I think he was. In the story, uh, we'll read it in John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it will be on the screen. It's the story of Lazarus. I'm going to read through that quickly. Um, this helps me with the person of Jesus, with the humanity of Jesus a little bit. So we're going to read John chapter 11, verses 1 through 36. So there's just going to be a little bit of reading this morning. It says this. A man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love so very much is sick. I want you to hang on to that. The one you love so very much is sick. When Jesus got the message, he said, The sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory, to glorify God's son. Hang on to that, too. It will become an occasion to show God's glory. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. After the two days, he said to the, to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. 
And they said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are about to kill you and you're going back? Jesus replied to them, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he might well stumble because he can't see where he's going. Verse 11, he said these things and then announced, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. Like, don't worry about the journey. We're going to get there. We're going to be fine. My friend Lazarus has fallen asleep over here in the town of Bethany. I need to go wake him up. And then in verse 12, the disciples said, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and he'll wake up feeling fine. Jesus was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about a nap. Isn't that just like Jesus to speak in ways that we don't always catch on real quick? The disciples may not have been the sharpest crayons in the box sometimes. 14, then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died, and I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go to him. That's when Thomas, the one called twins, said to his companions, come along, we might as well go die with him. Do you think they were going to go take a nap together? I'm not really sure what Thomas was thinking in that moment, but it did make me laugh a little bit when I read that. When Jesus, Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple miles away, and many of the Jews were visiting Mary and Martha, sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him, and Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. Verse 24, Martha replied, I know that he'll be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. Jesus, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, through though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Yes, Master. All along I have believed that you are Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And after saying this, she went to her sister Mary and whispered in the ear, The teacher is here and he's asking for you. The moment she heard that, she jumped up and ran out to him. Jesus had not yet entered the, the town, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. So he's not moving very quickly. He's really taking his time. He's already, already waited two days to start to make this journey. Lazarus is already dead, and he's still not even, like, where he needs to be. He's still kind of at the, the meeting point there. When her sympathizing Jewish friends saw Mary run off, they followed her, thinking she was on her way to the tomb to weep there. Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet, saying, Master, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. And he said, where did you put him? Master, come and see, they said. Now Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The Son of God, the King of Kings, he wept. Weeping indicates a deep grief, a feeling of emotion and sadness. And it really, I like to think of like weeping comes from our souls. It's uncontrollable. It's something that we cannot stop sometimes. And it's something that we don't choose when to, it starts. Weeping is this deep sense of grief, grief that comes somewhere from deep within us as humans. Verse 36 mentions how the Jews uh, saw how much Jesus loved them. And back in, and I believe it was the first or second verse, it talks about who this friend that Jesus loved. And even the Jews recognized it. They could understand and they could see the deep love that Jesus had for this family. But Jesus wept for his friends that he loved deeply that day. Jesus understood grief 
he was well acquainted with sadness, especially in that moment. And Jesus is well acquainted with accusations. Both of the sisters said to him, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, if you had come through for me the way that you're supposed to, this wouldn't have happened. Why weren't you here? Why did you wait two days to get here? He was already dead for four days by the time you got here. He was stinky already. And you decide to show up now? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. This would not have been the case. And we read in the passage, Jesus said, he's just fallen asleep. He will rise again because Jesus knew the end of the story in that. And I just, we have to pause and recognize that Jesus did something. He, he allowed himself a moment to mourn, to grieve. He didn't skip over it. He could have just rushed to the tomb. But he took his time and he allowed himself to weep. He allowed himself the space and the moment to feel all the feelings and to know that it was important for him to take that step. And we, I believe that in grief and in comfort, Jesus is our example that we are to cling to. Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. If we don't allow, allow ourselves the space to mourn, then we forfeit our ability to be comforted. You have to allow the space, you have to allow the moment or God doesn't get to be the comforter that he's, he has promised us to be. And there are times when we minimize our loss. I know I have done it. I'm sure you have done it. Where we say, you know, I should be over this by now. This is a me problem. This is not something that other people should have to be aware of or have to help me deal with. I should be able to do this on my own. And I want you to know that, that is a lie this morning. Because it does matter. You do matter. And if it matters to you, then it matters to him. He wants to be in your situation. And he has a way, of we saw in verse 4, he has a way of using our grief for his glory. But we have to allow him the space to do it. We are blessed when we mourn and allow space for grief. Because it's in mourning we meet our comforter. We don't live in grief. We can't allow it to take over our lives. We can't allow it to rule our minds. We can't allow it to rule our emotions. And there may come a time, and, and this is just an encouragement, if you find yourself in a place of grief and things that you're just not being able to get a grip on, I encourage you to talk to somebody. And whether it be uh, uh, one of your, your pastors, one of your leaders, or even a counselor. God has given us great people and great circles to help us get through different moments of our life. Utilize them. Don't be embarrassed. There's no shame in getting what you need to be healthy. If it keeps creeping in, I would just encourage you this morning to do what you need to do for your healing. Because mourning done well pushes us towards hope and healing. And I have a capital uh, H and two capital H's in that, I think on the next slide. I don't know where it is. But I put that there because hope and healing is a person. It's not just a feeling. It's not just something we work towards, something we go to, or we have hope all of a sudden. Hope is a person. Healing is a person found only in the person of Jesus. It pushes us toward Jesus who longs to be our great comforter. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who cr are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, 3, He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds, healing their pain and comforting their sorrow. He's close and he heals. What more could we need? He's close and he heals. That's what he, that is what he longs to do. Proverbs 18.24 8, references Jesus as a friend who is closer than a brother 
I mentioned earlier, I have great friends. They're like my sisters. Jesus is even closer than those things that I can understand. Revelation says he'll wipe away every tear. That means every tear. Everything that, that makes us mourn, that makes us grieve. If we will allow ourselves to push into the comforter, to push into the healer, he will do it. He will do it. He's very capable of doing it. And he's never closer than we are when we are at our end. And all we want to do is run. Have any of you, will you be open with me and say, I just want to run. I have days when I'm in, where things are happening and life is swirling. And I'm like, all I want to do is get out of here. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go home. I don't want to deal with the things that are happening right now. I just want to run. He's still close. He still hears. He still wants us. When all we want is answers that we're not ready to forfeit our understanding to, his shoulders are big enough to carry all the questions. When he's silent, when we feel like he's silent, his arms are wide enough to hold you. Will you let him is the question. He's not afraid of our tantrums, and he's not afraid of our frustrations. He's not afraid of your pain or the things you've chosen over him to cope. He's not afraid of any of the vices we put in our life to try and get through our moments. There is healing to be found in the arms of your father this morning. And whatever your loss or your grief looks like, whether it's self-inflicted, whether it's been projected onto you, he's ready and able to bring that comfort and healing and hope to your life. 2 Corinthians 12.9 is my life verse. It is one of my favorites, and it says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and mercy are more than enough, always available, regardless of the situation. For my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. If I'm not weak, he can't be strong. If I don't know where to lean, I hijack his strong arms. I hijack the things that he wants to do in my life, the comfort and the healing he wants to bring. It's okay to be weak, and it's okay to admit that you are weak and that you're having a moment. We don't live there, but we do have these moments, these valleys that we walk through. The valley, though, is meant to just be walked through. It's not meant to be camped in. His mercy, his kindness are more than enough in all of my situations, in all of your situations. His power is made perfect when I'm at my lowest. And when the grief is real and it won't leave, he is still my Jesus who loves me. He's still your Jesus that loves you. He'll hold me. He'll hold you. He'll let us pound on his chest until we have the answer or not. He's not afraid of our pounding. He's not afraid of our fits. He's not afraid of our anger. He's our Jesus that loves us deeply. He's our Jesus that longs to be a comforter. He doesn't leave. He doesn't push. He waits quietly until he's invited into our situation. He's not going to make us do anything, but he's right there waiting when we're ready. And he's the close as the whisper of his name. We hear that sometimes. Sometimes we can't do more than whisper. Sometimes we can't even whisper because we find ourselves in such turmoil. But there's no, I said it earlier, there's no vice that we can cling to, that we can lean into, that will soothe the pain. We attempt to soothe the pain. There's no relationship. There's no 
drugs, there's no alcohol, there's nothing. You fill it in, right? We all have our different vices that we go to that can heal the wounds that we have been not given, lashed on us, whatever you want to say. Only him. It's only him that can be the healer. Isaiah 61.3 says this, To those who mourn in Zion the following, to give them a turban instead of dust, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they will be called the trees of righteousness, strong and magnificent, distinguished for, in, for integrity, justice, and right standing with God, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. He longs to do that holy exchange of our ashes for his oil of joy. It's a promise to us. And he doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He's always available to us if we will allow him to come in. I'm going to ask Ryan if you would come. He's just going to play for us a little bit as I, as I start to close here. And I, I knew I was going to end a few minutes early this morning, and I did it on purpose because I believe that there are things here, even in our small group this morning, that God wants to start a healing process over the things that we haven't maybe recognized as grief or loss. And maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit is highlighting a little bit of like, oh, I thought I was through that thing, but maybe I'm not. Maybe there's something, there's more work in my heart that needs to be done. So I'm going to read this quote. This is by a lady by the name of Natalie Thomas Runyon. She is the, the founder of um, a movement called Race to Stay. And this is one of the quotes that she says, it's okay to mourn what was lost, to lament what could have been that will never be. Sometimes worship and wailing sound the same. It's good to sit in our night and demand a morning. It keeps us looking to the sky. You are allowed to weep and shake your fist in frustration, to pen letters you'll never send, asking for the forgiveness and revenge that will never come. There isn't a prescription for this kind of pain. Only the remains of those who have who have been here before us, and if we let them, they will pull us down into the shallow graves to die beside them. Don't stand still for too long. Run on with tears streaming down your face as you pick up the broken pieces of shattered heart you didn't think could break again. There's a miracle in the remnant. Don't leave a single shard behind. He's making something beautiful from it all. May God exchange that robe of grief for a garment of praise, the sackcloth for clothing of joy. It's coming, a new dawn, so fresh with mercy. So be honest with darkness as you wait for the light. He keeps track of all our sorrows. He has collected all our tears in his bottle. He has recorded each one in his book. Every arrow that has been pulled in your direction has fallen short. Pick yourself up. It is time to dance on some graves. And I just believe this morning that there are those of us here that you've heard as we've talked about these things, as certain things have been mentioned, like you're like, no, it's time for me to get up. It's time for me to look up and get up. And there are things in my heart and that I just didn't, I thought were dealt with. I thought were done. I thought the healing was done but there's more to be done. So this morning, Ryan is going to play. 
and I'm just going to be down here at the front. And if you need prayer for anything, really, I just invite you to come. But if you're looking at this morning and saying, man, it's time to dance on some graves. as things that have tried to bury me. The enemy's tried to bury me with some things. And that's not what God wants for your life. He wants to be allowed to come in as comforter this morning. He wants to come in and be allowed to give you hope and healing this morning. So if you, if you are um, needing to go, that you are dismissed. We bless you. But if you do need prayer this morning, we'd love to just... Um, Thank you.